2: If I raise my voice, may it only be in praise. If I clench my fist, may it only be in prayer. If I make a demand, may it only be of myself. And this is from Max Lucado. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We are a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice. Right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryant, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be the Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Before we get into today's show, Be the Star You Are's volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the events tab to find exciting events that we have coming up, and also visit us at expressyourselfteenradio.com to check out past editions of our show. On today's Express Yourself show, we're focusing on the gift of gentleness. So our chapter for today is penned by Dallas Woodburn, who is a renowned author. She's an editor, she's a speaker, and she's an in-demand writing teacher. So she's absolutely amazing and For our second segment after this, we're going to have her as a guest, so make sure you stick around, hear her chapter, and then, you know, listen to her talk and share her amazing experiences. She's the recipient of the National Congressional Award Gold Medal, the National Jefferson Award for Community Service, and she also received the International Glass Woner Prize. So, again, a great guest to make sure you're sticking around. She's a passionate champion of young art writers and she founded Write On Books in 2011. You can visit their website at writeonbooks.org. Without further ado, here's The Gift of Gentleness by Dallas Woodburn. I've loved basketball since I was a little girl. During elementary school recesses, I played H O R S E (laughs) and pickup games with the boys. At home, we had a basketball hoop in our driveway. I spent many hours practicing until the daylight faded away to dusk and it was time to come in for dinner. I loved the team camaraderie, the fast-paced energy of the game, the elegance of shooting, that clean feeling when you release the ball from your hand and know that it's going in, and then that joyful swish through the net. My freshman year of high school, I was thrilled when I made the Froshsoft girls basketball team. The sophomore girls on the team welcomed me into their fold and we worked hard in practice but the ultimate goal was to have fun. I played center or power forward, so I never dribbled the ball much. But I remember one game when the defender wasn't guarding me until I reached the half court line. So coach told me to dribble the ball up the court each play and I did it successfully. I was nervous at first because I never thought I could be a point guard. But after that game, I felt like I could do anything. Like I didn't have to box myself into a specific role. And the more confident I felt in myself, the better I played. Midway through the season, the varsity coach decided to move a girl on the JV team up to varsity, and he decided to move me up to the JV team. I felt honored to be chosen, but it was a difficult situation to move into a new team partway through the season. I was the new girl, at the bottom of the totem pole, playing with girls older than me and better than me, who had already built their own team dynamics on and off the court. On the Frostsoft team, I had started every game. But now in the JV squad, I sat on the bench and I felt lucky to play a couple of minutes. My confidence tanked, but I still tried my best to be positive and to work hard. The biggest obstacle was my new coach. A nice man off the court, during practices and games, he would yell constantly. He constantly berated me for not being tough enough, and nothing I did could convince him otherwise. No amount of showing up early for optional practices, busting my butt during blockout drills, or hustling up and down the court changed his opinion of me. He thought that I was a soft girl who needed to toughen up. To me, playing basketball was as much a contest against myself to continue working hard and improving my own game as it was a contest against the other team. I didn't have the desire to crush my opponents, and if we lost, I shook it off pretty easily. But that didn't mean I wasn't tough. As I entered my sophomore year, the situation remained the same. During each game, I sat on the bench, my knees jiggling. I yearned to play, but I was also filled with nerves. I worried about making a mistake and being yanked out of the game. I tried to remain confident myself, but it was hard. One game will forever be etched into my memory. It wasn't the playoffs, and it wasn't a game against our big rival, it was just a personally important game, because my Uncle Wayne was in town and would be attending with my parents. I looked up to Uncle Wayne and I wanted to impress him, and I hoped that I would get some playing time to show my best effort. In the second quarter, coach put me in. Someone on my team fouled a player on the opposing team in the act of shooting, so we all lined up for free throws. Since the other team was shooting, my team lined up on the innermost spots. The player shot the first free throw, I bent my knees, elbows out, I prepared to box out for the rebound if the second free throw was a miss. It was. I successfully boxed out my player. But another player, a guard from the other team who hadn't been boxed out, swept in and grabbed the rebound. Immediately, my coach was screaming. He called a timeout. We all hustled for the bench. I was not prepared for what happened next. Coach had yelled at me before, but it was nothing like this. Loudly, leaning right in my face, he screamed at me for not getting the rebound. He screamed that it was my fault that we were losing, that I was killing the team, that I wasn't trying hard enough. I was completely caught off guard because I didn't think I had made a mistake. But even if I had, even if I had purposefully dribbled the ball the wrong way down the court and deliberately scored two points for the other team, his verbal outrage would have been completely out of bounds. I realize that now. A grown man yelling in red-faced rage at a 16-year-old girl is never okay, especially in front of her peers and her community. I would learn later that it took every ounce of self-control for my father not to run down from the bleachers and yank me away from that screaming man. He didn't want to embarrass me or cause any more of a scene. He tried to catch my eye so he could thump his chest with his fist in our signal for I love you. You're doing great. But I wouldn't look at him. The reason why I wouldn't look at my dad or anyone in the bleachers was because I was ashamed. Already, as I took my place at the end of the bench and avoided my teammates' eyes, I was internalizing my coach's words. He was in a position of power, and he was telling me that I was a loser, and in that moment, I believed him. I believed that everyone saw the things the way he did. Red-hot shame coursed through my veins. It never even crossed my mind that perhaps I didn't deserve it. That perhaps coach, not me, was in the wrong. Later on my parents would come for me and they would schedule a meeting with the coach about the incident, although he would never apologize. And later I would decide to end my basketball career and focus on cross-country and track. Although I still loved basketball I didn't miss the self-doubt and negativity that came from playing on that team. These days I only think of my old coach very occasionally when I make a mistake and catch the way I'm talking to myself. Not usually, but sometimes, the words that I say to myself could be coming directly out of his screaming mouth. I can't believe you just did that. What were you thinking? You ruined everything. You're so stupid. It's all your fault. Whenever I catch myself doing this, I try to immediately silence that critical voice in my head by taking a few breaths. Then I ask myself, how would you talk to your best friend if she was in this situation? And the answer is this. I would never yell or berate her. I would treat her with gentleness, compassion, and understanding. I would offer words of encouragement and support. And myself deserves that same courtesy and love. I think it's up to each one of us to break the cycle, not only in our behavior towards others, but also in the way we treat ourselves. I don't want to be like an angry basketball coach screaming at myself. Instead, I want to be like the coach of my fresh soft team who made me feel confident enough to be point guard, even though I'd never played that position before, who never would have yelled at me, even if I'd failed. And with that knowledge, helped give me the confidence to succeed. I want to talk to myself the way that my parents talked to me that fateful day, drawing in the shadows of my shame and erasing them with light. After all, the little voice inside my head is powerful it is the only voice that I hear all day, every day. It never, ever needs to yell to be heard. A gentle, compassionate whisper will do just fine. And we've got an exercise to accompany that wonderful chapter called Writing Your Way to Gentleness. So use the following questions as an inspiration for some free writing in a journal to help you express your gentleness. Number one, write about a time when someone yelled at you. How can you find peace with this memory and move forward? Number two, jot down a list of phrases you often direct at yourself. Are they positive or negative? How can you be more kind and gentle to yourself? Number three, cool in your life makes you love, feel loved and supported. What does this person say to you? Write down these words of affirmation. Can you say them to yourself? We've got a quote from Han Sun Yin. There's nothing stronger in the world than gentleness. I think that's a pretty wonderful chapter. I think that Dallas has a lot of good stuff to say about being gentle to yourself. And I think it's important to remember to, you know, keep your self-criticism on the down low (laughs) to a minimum. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be with you your whole life. You're going to have to make friends with the person that you are. You're going to have to accept who you are with all your flaws and, and your bad spots and also all of your strengths and your powers that you can utilize to get yourself through the day, get yourself through the week, and ultimately get yourself through life. So I think it's important to remember to be kind to yourself, as Dallas says, and to repeat when when your subconscious, your unconscious uh, gets to be too much. Uh, Repeat to yourself some sort of mantra that can calm you down, that's self-affirmative. Nowadays, they have a lot of YouTube videos online that can help you do that. So a lot of YouTubers will, uh, a lot of, it's called ASMR. <laughs> it's getting popular nowadays. But um, it's, it's this idea of listening to sounds that are pleasant, that will relax you. And one category of ASMR is uh, uh, words that are self-affirming, that are for boosting one's self-confidence. And you can find a video online and play it to yourself. And basically, a YouTube video maker will repeat a whole bunch of just good sentences, things like, I need to be, you know, like, I, I need to be kinder to myself, or I, I am strong, or people love me, I am loved. And you can listen to that uh, when you're on your own or when you're in a tough spot, and it really helps. It helps a lot of people, and for me personally, it's definitely helped to listen to Somebody tell me that I'm okay, that everything's all right, that I haven't made that big of a mistake, that everything in the end will turn out. And I think that's that's one of the most important things that people are worried about, that things will not turn out, that somehow you as an individual have made a mistake that will that will turn everything upside down and will make the world end. But in reality, you know, it's a blessing and a curse that none of us individually have the power to change the whole world because it gives us a bit of space to relax and to tell ourselves that if we made a mistake it's okay You can get back up again the world has not ended the world is not going to end and everything in time will start going up and everything will be a little bit better Anyway, that was an incredible story about gentleness from Dallas, and there's more from her next because she's going to be our star guest for the next segment, so stay tuned. Support more amazing segments like this one by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 literacy charity. That brings you this program. Also, Be The Star You Are's Operation Wildfire Disaster Relief Fund is going on right now. And Be The Star You Are desperately needs your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources in light of these natural disasters. So make sure you help ship books to victims of natural disasters today at bethestarur.org. And you can donate through PayPal Giving Fund, and that'll give you no additional fees, and you'll be doing a really good thing by shipping these books out to people in need. I'm Brigitte Gia, and you've been listening to The Gift of Gentleness on Express Yourself, with Be The Star You Are. Make sure to watch BTSYA's fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash are and pick up our new anthology, Be The Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world at cynthiabryan.com online-store. Also, make sure to stick around as we continue our show on the gift of gentleness. I'm Brigitte Gia, and you're listening to The Gift of Gentleness. We're super excited today to have the author of the chapter on gentleness that you just heard, the talented Dallas Woodburn. She's the founder of Write On, uh, and she empowers youth to discover confidence, joy, and a means of self-expression and connection with others through reading and writing programs. She's also the author of the award-winning Woman, Running Late in a Dress, and the forthcoming The Best Week That Never Happened. Hi, Dallas. Hi,
4: thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here with you. Absolutely.
2: You know, it's it's a delight to be on the show with you today. <laughs> Super excited. And so, you know, I want to start right off the bat. What is Write-On Books? And, you know, how did you start it? What What is the core message of the program? Yes, I always love talking
4: about Write on Books because it is um, how I met Cynthia originally a long time ago because we both have a passion for literacy and um, encouraging everybody, but especially kids and teenagers and youth, to express themselves and discover confidence and joy through reading and through writing. So with Write-On Books, I mentor young writers, I publish the work of young writers, and I also offer writing classes and writing camps for kids and teenagers to have an experience with writing that is meant to be very fulfilling, creative, and Inspiring, and when you get down to it, really fun. Because a lot of young people that I've talked to find that writing can be stressful, where they're worried about um, being edited, or they've maybe had a harsh experience in the past with writing, or they're they're, worried—they're very critical of themselves. And so, my mission and my passion is to help strip away some of those critical voices and. help people find empowerment through writing and through discovering the, the
2: beauty of
4: their own unique
2: voice. Absolutely. That's pretty incredible. And so I, I know that a lot of criticism that kids get in school for their writing is is when they're not following that format, you know, like a topic sentence, body paragraph, that sort of thing. And so, yeah. you know, with with the classes that you teach and with the programs that you do, do you, do you, you know, kind of you know, fit how how they write around a structure or do you kind of remove that entirely or maybe something in between? Yeah, that is such a great question because
4: I agree with you that I think when you're in school, there are very um, for, formula for, formulaic um, guidelines often with writing. You have the five paragraph essay, you have maybe the mm-hmm. college essay. Um, and I think that the students I work with, I tell them, you know, there is a time and a place for that. I'm not saying that your teacher asks you to write a five paragraph essay and you turn in, you know, a haiku poem, like there's time to be following the instructions. But at the same time, I also think that writing is so much more than a formula. And so I also think it's really important to have a space where you feel free to write from your heart and not worry about, if anyone else even has to read this or not worry about what grade you're going to get on this. And also, I think that it's really important to you know learn the rules of writing, but then also there comes a time when rules are meant to be broken and it's important to be able to take risks. And that to me is how you really grow as a writer is by trying new things. Maybe you try something and you feel like, actually, I don't know if that really works, but it's important to... Um, feel like you have that freedom to to try and so that's with with my um classes that I teach I love providing writing prompts and inspiration for students but I I don't grade my students work we give Mm -hmm. feedback and ideas but it is never based in um a formula or um criticism just to be critical of each other
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think that's yeah. That really gives you know the the maximal amount of freedom to <laughs> to the young writer. So I feel like I you know after going through K through twelve <laughs> of just being being you know my essays being taken and sort of graded on a point-by-point basis mm-hmm. now that that seems just just really nice <laughs> and you know Dallas I wanted to ask about I, I understand obviously you've you've published a multitude of books and you're uh, obviously a very established writer on your own and so do you think that you've You maybe learn some things about your own writing and about your own creative style by, you know, maybe hearing kids' crazy ideas and whatever creative genius they've got going on in their brains and kind of conducting your program. Definitely, and I love how you um,
4: make that connection, because when I started my write on organization, I was thinking about wanting to help others, but, you know, the thing is that it has given me so much, and being able to work with these young writers, it inspires me so much, it it helps me um, be creative myself, and it definitely keeps me honest, you know, so if I'm talking to my students about, you know, taking risks and and being brave and pushing themselves, I better do that in my own way work and if I'm encouraging them to try to write every day even if it's only for 15 minutes like I should really write every day even if only for 15 minutes and so yes I definitely think it's a very symbiotic relationship and you know with writing as with I think most art forms that I don't think there's ever a time where you quote-unquote master writing you know we we are all students it's a journey we're all all learning. And so um, I I see myself as, you know, a, a teacher figure, but I'm also learning along with my students. And I think that we're all on the journey together. So Definitely. And especially I really like writing for young adults. That's my genre. Like um, you mentioned that my first novel is coming out and it's a young adult novel. And so working with young people um, really helps me with um, those storylines and those characters that I'm developing because I actually, you know, know teenagers and I'm, it helps me stay in touch with those um, parts of myself as well. Right, kind of gives you perspective,
2: you know? <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh, it's important. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of uh, kind of, you know, learning about the writing process, I, I personally have a hard time with editing and kind of going over my own writing too much. And so, I, whenever I write, I end up with, you know, a paragraph that's been edited and re edited, but there's nothing more to that. And then I get stuck there. So, do you have any suggestions for that? Would you? would you say to you know hold off on the editing or when to bring in the editing when should i kind of put together my piece versus just freestyle write for a certain time yeah,
4: and I think you are definitely not the only person that struggles with that. I think that, that you know, self editing voices come in for pretty much every writer that I've ever met. And um, yeah, I have a couple of tips that, you know, help me and help some of the people I work with. So one thing is to maybe mix up the way that you're writing. So if you normally write on the computer, maybe try busting out some paper and, and a pen and try to do mm-hmm. some um, writing by hand and s- see if that helps you kind of get rid of some of those editorial voices um some students I work with they really love talking as opposed to typing and so they'll bust out you know a a dictation app on their phone and they'll try to talk through their story um or even sometimes if maybe you just really feel like you're having such a hard time with editing and re-editing that same part and you can't move on um what I do sometimes is I actually turn off my computer monitor. So Mm -hmm. my computer is still on, but I can't see what I'm typing. So it's like a black screen. Um, And so I just type without actually seeing. So I can't be editing it until later. So, and also um, something that I always remind myself, a little maxim that I tell myself is that, um, you can't do anything with a blank page, right? You can't edit a blank page. So no matter what words you have on there, even if you feel like it's terrible and you have so much editing you want to do, that is always better than not writing at all. So just try to get those words out there and you can always go back and edit it later.
2: Okay, thank you. That's that's really good. I I I like the blank screen. (laughs) That's really helpful for me. Yeah, I just kind of block it out, and then you know that'll kind of help the brain release (laughs) whatever's been pent up in there. And so you know, uh, just to take a quick turn, I wanted to ask about um, kind of tying in uh, the theme of gentleness for today's show and teaching writing programs. So you know, understandably, kids. You know, their, their prefrontal lobes haven't been completely developed to just where they are on that path of life. And, you know, sometimes kids can act up and be crazy and, and wild. Um, and so when you're teaching uh, and you're working with children, how do, you, how do you balance gentleness and making sure that everything gets done that's a great question and
4: sorry I don't know if you can hear I'm having a um, ambulance go by outside oh, of my no worries now. no worries um, yeah I think so something that I try to remind myself um and actually I'm a mom now too I have um, a baby daughter she's eight months old
2: my goodness congratulations (laughs)
4: thank you so I'm learning a lot from her as well but something I try to remind myself is um when when she is giving me a hard time like if she's very fussy or she's crying or maybe I have a student in one of my writing classes who seems really grumpy or is kind of um talking back to me or doesn't seem like they're having a very good day that um, it's not just them giving me a hard time it's that they're having a hard time so like my daughter she's been really fussy the past couple days and it's not just that she wants to you know be crying and whining it's that she's teething she's having a hard time <laughs> having these, these teeth grow, grow in and so yeah if if, some, if a writer if a young writer is maybe struggling maybe they're having a hard time with something and so it's, it's kind of changing my perspective and not just thinking oh my gosh you know they're giving me they're giving me such a hard time Mm -hmm. but thinking what are they going through you know how can I reach out to them and try to help them how can I soothe them or be gentle to them and I think often by showing that gentleness it does um, help them have a better time and and so all of us are happier
2: yeah oh that that's really nice it's you know bringing out kind of the the really empathetic viewpoint on on teaching classes and and working with kids I think sometimes when I'm you know when I'm talking with my sister and she's she's probably had a rough day we we tend to bicker a lot and I think next time I'll I'll try to take it down a notch and remember that she's probably going through as much her own stuff as I am. You know, I feel like That's it's a it's great person. Hard, <laughs> right. so it's kind of breathe. Yeah. And so to, to kind of, um, I I actually wanted to ask. Uh, you've been, uh, just just to kind of take another turn here. Um, you've been you've been described as a book doula, uh, as a founder of the kind of the ninety day book breakthrough program. So what exactly is a book doula? Like how how does that describe you know what you do?
4: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's um, a fairly. Um, recent term that I came up with when I was pregnant with my daughter and I was hiring a doula to help um, <laughs> go through the birth process. And I realized, man, that's a lot of what I do to help people write their books. So I help um, give birth to that book that is inside of you, which often I, I think that the giving birth to a child and giving birth to a book has a lot of parallels. It's this you know thing inside of you, you give so much of your time and your effort and your energy and your creativity to this. And often you just need someone to kind of hold your hand through the process and give you that timeline and accountability to, you know, give birth to this book. So so I um, am that person who who I also sometimes describe myself as a writing coach, just who mm-hmm. helps people get from that blank page to that finished manuscript of their book.
2: Absolutely. Wow, there you go. You're <laughs> sort of, sort of the, the, the mother figure, you know. You've, yes. You've got your own baby now congratulations again (laughs) and you've got you've got you know teaching kids how to really express themselves through writing and then you're helping everybody get their books (laughs) you know down the the sort of life path that that works written works always take Oh, man, That's pretty incredible. Well, you know, thank you so much, Alice, for joining us today and for telling us all about what you do. It's absolutely amazing. And you're handling all of this with a <laughs> with an eight month year old baby. That's, Pretty incredible. So unfortunately, we are out of time for this segment, but audience will be back in the next segment to continue the conversation on gentleness. Make sure you check out Dallas at writeonbooks.org, find her on Facebook at Writer Dallas, and on Twitter at Dallas Woodburn. Pick up a new copy of our newest anthology, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world, which you can find on cynthiabryant.com, Amazon, and other major book retailers. Visit bethestarur.org for more information about Express Yourself and Be The Star You Are. I'm Brigitte Gia, and keep listening to Express Yourself as we continue with the gift of gentleness.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice
3: America TRN. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The positive message outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Think you've seen everything
1: there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
2: Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. So to kind of close this show on gentleness today, I'll be sharing some of my own experiences on being gentle during difficult times, maybe approaching an issue with a steady hand when all I really want to do is kind of just let go. Because personally, I do have a bit of an impatient streak and sometimes I've really got to take a step back and really make my behavior more gentle. So I'll be sharing some of the tips and tricks that I use to calm myself down, and I'll be kind of telling you guys what situations I often find myself in, in which I need to be a little more gentle, and I need to always kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture. So, as you know, last week's show was about farming and animals. And I feel like one circumstance in which I really have to kind of keep myself in check and be a little more gentle is when I'm in close proximity to dogs and cats who have really experienced some some mistreatment at the hands of human beings. So unfortunately, it is a reality that a lot of stray animals or a lot of animals that have been previously owned might have gone through some trauma at the hands of humans. So they might have interacted with human individuals who have damage them psychologically in some way or have uh, instilled fear behaviors that are really hard to get rid of. And so when I'm in the shelter and there's a note on one of the dog's kennels or one of the cat's condos that says, hey, I get a little stressed out when I'm near human beings just because of my life experiences and what I've gone through. I have to, as, as a volunteer, I have to make note of that, and instead of going in straight away and handling the animal, getting them to walk or socializing them, I have to take it a bit more slow, a bit more gently, to make sure that the animal is okay with my presence, and so our interaction can be, you know, a little more friendly, a little more comforting towards whichever animal uh, is, is being taken care of that day. So... I know for myself personally it's really difficult to see an adorable animal and restrain myself from holding it or cuddling it or petting it somehow but to be honest that would really bring danger to to me and to the animal because if that happens and I'm going in without heeding these warnings that the animal is maybe skittish or shy you know the animal could misinterpret my behavior and attack me and then I'd be unsafe and then the animal would then you know have to be taken care of or put down and all because of just its innate fear behavior because it's gone through something traumatic before so warning signs on kennels and things like that uh, when I see them I really have to take a step back and just breathe a little bit and put myself in this sort of mindset where Every move I make is very slow and kind of, you know, easing into whatever I'm about to do. If I'm about to put a dog on a leash to take it out for a walk, I have to be very slow and gentle. And I have to make sure that the little pupper in the corner is used to me as, you know, I may not be very tall in human terms. I'm I'm around five foot two. But to a dog, you know, I'm tower. I'm still a sizable height, so I have to make sure to maybe crouch down a little bit more, uh, slow down my approach towards the puppy, and make sure that the dog is displaying signs of ease and of comfort uh, before transitioning into maybe a bigger step, putting the leash over the dog's head uh, instead of just easing my way into the cage. So it's a very gentle sort of thing when you're approaching a dog's kennel, uh, if the dog is shy or if the dog is... Is a little bit skittish around humans, and I think handling cats is is pretty similar as well. I've done a lot of work with cats recently, and I think uh, with with different cats, with different animals, when you're in the cat kennels or at the cat condos, uh, you can really see shifts in their personalities. So some cats will just naturally, you know, even if they're if if they haven't gone through any trauma, they'll just naturally be a little more wary of humans you know they they maybe are a little shy or they're a little standoffish when when you come and greet them so in that case I also have to remind myself to be gentle because some cats can be scooped up easily you know they want to play they want to get out of the condo and they want to go to the little back room and you know have fun with toys and and you know engage in a little socialization and those cats are really friendly. You can pick them up and they'll be mewling loudly. They'll be excited to get over and, to the other room and start playing. But then some cats have a very different personality where they're 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 not really sure about you. And you're you're a stranger, you know, you're a volunteer who's just come in one day and is now deciding to pick them up and bring them into a different room all in, all together. So you kind of have to really be calm um and being gentle in those circumstances is really rewarding, because once you've kind of greeted the cat who's maybe in the corner of, of its condo, uh, of its little little living space, and you've held out your hand to sniff, uh, have it sniff you and uh, get used to your scent. Once you have sort of waited patiently in at the entrance of its little space for a while, you know the cat will maybe start to warm up to you and you two can kind of you know hold a little impromptu greeting session where you get used to one another and and after that you know once you two are acquainted the cat becomes really friendly and I've had I've had a lot of good experiences where I've waited and I've told myself to calm down and be gentle and I've been able to pet a lot of cats that otherwise would have been really suspicious of me if I had just dashed in there and picked picked up the cat and charged into the, the socialization room. So it's in that circumstance in particular, I find myself you know trying my best to really be gentle, engage in gentleness and and make sure that be, my behavior is calming, is, is not really scary in any way, is not threatening and it's been a really good exercise besides handling animals it's been a really good exercise in keeping my composure and uh, making sure that my behavior in general and my my attitudes are calm are gentle and so another situation in which i really have to remain calm and gentle under stress is when i'm in the lab and i think Working in the animal shelter has definitely helped me in my sort of more full-time job uh, as a research assistant because I do a lot of work with cell cultures and there's a lot of times when you're working with sort of these these uh, immortal cells. Um, I work with muscle cells. That they are in in sort of in vitro cultures. They're in little petri dishes. And sometimes everything can seem to be going wrong your cells are not growing, they're, you know, they're, they're dying on you <laughs> in, in this little petri dish. You know, that's their world. There's this little plate of cells and they're just, they're not working how you want them to work and you need them to work because your experiments have to go through. Otherwise, you don't have any data. You don't have any conclusions about muscle cells. And for me, if I don't have any conclusions about that, you know, I can't, I can't figure out different ways to make sure that exercise is more beneficial to human beings and to human patients. And so when I'm when I'm doing something with the cells and it all goes wrong, it's it's all I can do to not lose my mind and scrap the project or or just stare perplexed at these cells and wonder what they're doing, why aren't they working? But I think I always in those circumstances I always need to take a step back and really keep myself in check and tell myself to breathe. Because otherwise the experiment might be even more compromised if I just start getting really frustrated and and when you get frustrated, you know, you become really incautious. So you start to to not care about your actions and how brash they might be and these cells in their little petri dishes when you think about it they're living cells so they're very very delicate because they're not they're not a body of any sort they're just free-floating cells in this little pink medium that keeps them alive and so if you're brash with your actions and if you push the cells a little too much or you move the petri dish a little too hard these cells are you know, they're going to become really, really inactive and you won't be able to carry out a beneficial experiment and draw a lot of good conclusions from your data. So in those circumstances, I always have to remind myself to pull back a little bit and approach everything slowly and surely to make sure that I've got a good and gentle grasp on whatever situation I'm dealing with. And so now that you've heard a little bit more about the circumstances in which I have to you know, remind myself to be gentle and to not act out and be all impatient, here are a few tips and tricks that I personally use for staying calm and, and sort of reminding myself to behave gently when I really need to. So I think one really beneficial thing to do when you find yourself in a time of stress, when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do next, is to let go of whatever you're working on. And actually just take a second to breathe in and breathe out and rest your, your thinking processes. Because, you know, if you look at the human brain, it's, it's very similar. It's akin to a, to a tiny computer. So you've got a little, little fist-sized computer working in your head, working away. And if you overuse that computer, it's going to be overheated. You know, if you keep using the same program over and over and over again, if you keep thinking the same way and you're thinking really hard and you're trying to figure out what you have to do in this stressful situation, your brain is going to burn out. That specific pathway is going to just go kaput for a little, a few seconds because you're thinking too much about it and your brain might start to hurt. So if you let go of what you're doing and you take a few deep breaths and if you shut out everything that's going on for just a few minutes you'll be able to figure out exactly what you're feeling you'll be able to tell yourself to calm down and you'll be able to make your actions more gentle because you won't be hot wiring you won't be you won't be experiencing so much going through your brain that you can't even handle it all you'll have shut it out a little bit and you'll be able to keep everything in check a little bit i think what's also interesting is that The visual system, physically speaking, the visual system makes up a lot of what we do and how we think, because when we were kind of evolving as a species, humankind was on these flat safaris, these flat savannas, (laughs) these plains, um, and we had to use our eyesight to keep track of everything that was going on. So your visual system, your the, the way your brain processes everything you see and all the images that come into your eyesight, into your field of vision, is super complicated. It's It's got a lot of wiring in the brain. There's a lot of neurons that are dedicated to what's going on in your fields of vision. So if you shut your eyes and you take a few minutes to just block out all of that brain power that's going into seeing what you're doing, provided that you're in a situation where you can safely shut your eyes without endangering yourself or others, you can really kind of take a step back and use some of the energy that your brain's been, you know, throwing into seeing the world around you and observing all of your chaos and the settings and the colors that go around in your environment. You can kind of reallocate that power towards, you know, categorizing whatever emotions you're going through, categorizing your thought processes, and directing them towards a more gentle approach to whatever you're doing. So say I'm in the lab and I'm stressed out and I'm working under this hood that's got a lot of lights and it's, there's a lot of objects lying around that I might need for, for my cell cultures. Say I'm there. My visual system is, is going crazy because there's so many stimuli that are keeping it busy. And so all the oxygen that's going up into my brain and all the, the energy, the glucose, everything that's used to keep my brain running is focused on my visual system. So everything is there. I'm seeing everything. I'm using all my energy on seeing everything. And I'm getting overwhelmed because my visual processes are just overreacting. They're overstimulated so if I'm in that situation and I'm able to just close my eyes for a second and let that part of my brain rest when I open my eyes I'll be able to focus on whatever issue has been going on with my cell cultures and I'll be able to maybe think about a way to fix the issue or to make whatever's going on in that petri dish a little bit better and when I'm physically doing whatever I need to do to get those cells to where I want them to be, maybe I'm adding a little more liquid, maybe it requires a lot of precision to, you know, pipette and streamline the liquid into the little Petri dish. When I'm doing that, after closing my eyes, I can be a little more focused on keeping those actions really gentle, really calculated, really measured, and really steady so that no, you know, miss movement no harsh movement is going to mess up whatever's going on with myself so i think that's the benefit of really taking a step back breathing to make sure that your brain is getting more oxygen and shutting your eye is to make sure that you're resting a portion of your brain that's always overactive because usually you need it to be overactive (laughs) the visual system is how a lot of us get you know whatever we're experiences from the outside world into our head. So another tip that I use is to find a mantra. I mentioned this in the first segment. I, I search for a mantra, some sort of thing that I can repeat over and over again that will instill some, some peace in my mind when I'm in a stressful situation. So it could be something like, I'm okay, I'm okay, or I'm doing fine, everything is fine, everything is fine. And I'll repeat that to myself when I'm stressed or anxious or when something's going wrong because it reminds me that everything is going all right. So when we're stressed as human individuals, our implicit processes kick in. So we have a conscious path of thought when we're processing information about our environment and we have a more subconscious path of thought that immediately takes in whatever we're seeing or whatever we're experiencing and kind of pushes out a gut feeling about it so maybe when i when i see that something's going wrong in the lab or at the animal shelter i immediately have this gut feeling this anxiety this stress that pops out from my implicit thoughts from my unconscious and repeating a mantra What it does is it allows your conscious brain to kind of take in the reins a little bit more and quell whatever's going on in your unconscious brain. Because although there's two different routes of processing, both of these two routes, the unconscious and the conscious, they tend to engage in a lot of crosstalk. So they're able to communicate with one another and regulate one another. So... When I'm thinking too much on the unconscious unconscious side, essentially, when my gut feelings get the best of me and I'm really anxious, I can use my conscious thought to kind of reprocess the information that's going on on the other end and categorize it and calm myself down. Make it so that my thought processes are more gentle. They're less fueled by stress and anxiety. And so that mantra for me really, really helps. And I was discussing earlier in the first segment about these YouTubers who will almost provide your mantra for you if your gut feeling really rises too high and you're not able to think very clearly. Because, you know, if 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 you have a pair of headphones lying around, you can plug those into your device, to your computer, your cell phone, and you can go on YouTube and find people who have been repeating these mantras they'll post these videos these great videos you know saying things like you'll be okay and don't worry and be calm and for me personally when I'm in a place where I I really just cannot focus and I'm stressing too much I'll listen to one of those videos and I'll be reminded that I can breathe that I can be gentle and so with that with those two tips We'll be closing our show on the gift of gentleness. Audience, thank you for going on this journey with me. As always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia O'Brien, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Brigitia, and you have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs, go to our main site at BeTheStarYouAre.org. Be gentle to yourself and others. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself.
0: If you would let yourself